0: Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and what we are is basically a campus ministry for the convinced and unconvinced believers and non-believers. We put a lot of emphasis on being community and people-oriented and promoting a welcoming atmosphere of inclusivity and comfort. Uh, what this podcast is is a collection of our worship night sermons given by our campus minister, William Bondront. Um, so, without further ado, we really hope that y'all enjoy this talk. Uh, hey,
1: well, let me just take a second then uh, to also just thank so much the Stag Team, excuse me, people. Could you, if you help with Stag Team, could you just raise your hand? Just, hey, everyone give a big round of applause. Um, music Team, man, y'all killed it tonight with uh, the... Rugged Cross. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That was so good. Um, yeah, seriously, y'all. I think it's so fun here at RUF that, like, pretty much everything we do here is student led, student run. We really do believe that um, one of the most effective ways we can do ministry on this campus is to students through students. That we're actually convinced that, that the best way for your friends the people you're in class with to come to know jesus and to do life in a body of christians is actually through through you that you have like you're the ones that are right next to them and we want to equip you uh, to do that for now we want to equip you to do that for now so that you can live a lifetime just doing that everywhere, that we're actually growing you as um, as Christian men and women right here, right now in college so that you can do it forever. Um, so anyway, thank y'all, all the things that you do to make RUF happen. Um, it's awesome. It's beautiful. Uh, all right. So again, welcome to RUF Worship Night. Glad you're here. If you're new, visiting, so kind of checking RUF out, we're so glad you're here. Anybody that you saw up here, myself, any of our interns, if you have any questions or need to talk to somebody about your questions about the Bible or Christianity or maybe just something hard you're going through, we're we're here. We'd love to meet with you, um, love to talk with you. But we are we're kind of drawing near to the end of the semester, which is kind of uh, crazy. We've got two more large groups uh, after this one. That's kind of man. That's that's hard to say out loud without kind of tearing up. Um, But again, just thank you so much for a semester of showing up, bringing your your soul and your body up up into this place and making RUF the place it is. RUF is is us, it's you. Um, So that's awesome. Okay, so we are getting towards the end of our unpacking of the Songs of Ascent. And the big navigational theme uh, for looking at this particular section of the Old Testament book of Psalms um, is, is that our, our kind of big navigational theme is thinking how these journeying pilgrimage songs actually are a road map for discipleship, i.e. walking with God, following God, being trained by God, right? to be, to be God's Padawan learners, if you will, for those of you that would enjoy that. Um, and so tonight, this is kind of a short, sweet one of those, but nonetheless, I think there's some really, really impactful things this short, sweet little psalm has to tell us about what does it look like to follow God? What does it look like to do life with Him? All right, so Psalm 131, you got it up there, you got it in your bulletin, Psalm 131, a song of ascent of David. we just pray that um, you would speak to us uh, here in your word um, that and what I mean by that is not that like somehow uh, you know something magical would happen and like the words we just read are going to like somehow become more impactful this is your word your spirit is the author of it like this is your word what I'm praying really more so is that, um, by the power of your word, you would kind of break through our, our hang-ups. Then you would break through our hearts that have been calloused or made hard um, against your truth. So, Lord, would you soften us? Would you help us by your spirit to receive what we would otherwise not want to receive for not for your power um, working in us. And it's in your name we pray this. Amen. Um, oh, I meant to bring it out. I'll, uh, maybe I'll bring it out at the end and show you what it looks like. But you've heard me reference a book a couple of times this semester called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a guy named John Mark Comer. We've been doing a book club this semester on it. I know some of you have just kind of been independently reading it. And uh, look, if you've if you've been around RUF long enough, you'll know that uh, I I really try hard to not be the pastor guy that's just always kind of trying to like shovel books your way, like read this, read this. so oh, you've got a problem, like like read this book. I really try not to do that because like you just can't read that much. Um, and so you know when when I say you gotta go read this book, like I'm. Um, I'm shooting my shot. Like, this is my one-time semester. Go read this book. It really is. Um, it's it's awesome. And the reason I think this book is so profound um, isn't because of this. It's not because Comer is going, you know, Americans, they're really busy. They're really anxious people. That feels yucky. No one likes that. And so here's a Christian book that I decided to write to meet this just very felt Need uh, in the American Church. Now, um, I think here's why his book is so profound and why it is a must-read, is because he's doing this with it. This is the main argument of it. He's going, "Hey, you know the Eternal Son of God, like the second person of the Trinity, that when He stepped into human flesh and started walking around and talking to people and doing ministry." He started saying things like, hey, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And then when he started explaining that to people, he started to tell them that it um, looked like uh, looked like this. Hey, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And he said stuff like, "Hey, don't be anxious. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself." Like God knows how to give the plant, make the plants pretty. He knows how to feed birds and wild animals. He loves you way more than he loves those things. Um, rest. And then, as he lived his life, Jesus just lived this slow. Intentionally paced way of life where he would work, right? He was a professional, itinerant preacher who's going around preaching to people. So he did his work and then he knew how to stop and just be with people, just kind of do nothing and be still with his father. Um, Jesus was not in a rush, he wasn't in a hurry. And he says what it looks like to follow and live with him is to be yoked to that same kind of lightness and rest. But, right, but, what's the reality of our lives? Rush, 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 hurry, 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 right? Tyranny of the urgent. I must meet everybody's expectations. I must be successful according to the standards of the world. Make lots of money, be on grind. And Comer's argument of the book is I think it's so hard-hitting it's so profound because it's just asking the question, hey, if, if who Jesus is and what it looks like to be with him and follow him is this lifestyle of like rest and stillness and slow pace, but our hearts are so set on rush, hurry, busy. What might be true is that we're actually worshiping somebody and something other than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Maybe we're not following Jesus at all. And so it's like, that's why I think this book is so profound because it is a gut check. And he is like taking American busy Christianity like behind a tool shed and just wearing it out. Um, And you know, I think the Psalm tonight is presenting the same kind of vision of what a disciple's life in Jesus actually looks like. Um, So what is it? What's the stance? What's the stance of the disciple in this psalm? Two things tonight. That discipleship is simple. Discipleship is still. It's simple and it's still. So first, simple. Uh, Verse one there. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So when I um, started coming to RUF, uh, where I went to school, um, one of the things that I really appreciated and I heard a lot in RUF was, was kind of this line of like, hey, God does not ask you to leave your brain at the door before you walk in here. That actually, like here at our UF, we want you to ask questions. It's okay for you to have doubt. It's okay for you to ask us those hard questions. And like, we really want to be a place where we're like, it is okay, and you feel free um, to actually wrestle with God. Um, bring it. Bring your skepticism. Bible's not afraid of of it. God's not afraid of it. Come on. And, yeah, I think that's true of our here. At least that's certainly one of the things that we're aspiring to be as a community. Um, and, like, as I read those first kind of verses, like, I don't occupy myself with two things too high for me. It, that might feel like, and when I say, like, hey, we want discipleship to be simple, it might feel to you like we're saying discipleship is about being stupid, and just willingly naive and just, hey, let's just go along uncritically with whatever the religious people say. Um, that, that's, not, that's not what the psalm's saying. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what the psalm is saying with that. Being one who journeys with God is to be one who is authentically humble, authentically just aware of reality. Um, theologian Derek Kidner, he explains verse 1 like this. He says, the sin rejected in the first couple of lines is, uh, is the sin of pride. While the sin of the second is presumption. By the first of these, one undervalues other people unless they seem worth cultivating. In other words, like using them. And by the second, one overestimates and overreaches oneself okay so think about uh Thanos from the Avengers movie evil horrible genocidal monster but where was his heart originally what was he actually was at the the core of what he was trying to do he was worried he had a fear that the resources of the universe would be depleted that overpopulation of people would be would would ultimately lead to the universe's destruction. He wanted everything to be perfectly balanced in every way. Um, And he did that and he became a monster in doing that because he presumed like way too high a view of himself in his solutions to that problem. And he way underestimated and way undervalued people and their worth. In his pride and so what you get in that like overestimation of his ideas and his values in a way undervaluation of other people is you get this inevitable monster right and the way of simple humility like a simple discipleship is just simply like taking a deep breath looking at who God is, looking at who we are thinking about the reality of the world and just reckoning clearly and soberly uh, in the in the light of God in the light of my ability and my inability just uh, what is true actually seeing the world and ourselves for what it is um, simplicity humility That is what being a disciple looks like um, okay but it's at this point. That like I really want to make sure we talk about this the right way because I don't want you to hear me wrong. Because um, here's what we could, here's what we could easily do. Here's what I could easily do with this is I go, hey, look, God wants us to be humble people that are having a healthy view of ourselves and our abilities, having a healthy view of God, have a healthy view of loving people, not using abusing people, but like healthy, humble. Like, kind, gentle, simple people. So, like, go do that. Go be healthy. Just go do it. I think if I did that, that would be be horrible. That would actually be me telling you bad news. Um, It would be bad news because I would just be setting you up for failure. And ultimately what I'd be setting you up for is a religion and a way of following God that is just more about, like, You just, you making yourself better. You achieving. Like you being healthy so that God will like you more um, or something. Or that you will have a higher estimation of yourself, right? This idea that like you you and what you do in your lifestyle, that, that that's ultimately the thing that's going to lead to your salvation. So I don't want to give you bad news. And I don't think this psalm is trying to give you bad news. So let's do the good news. What is the good news of this psalm? Um, What's at at the top? The little superscription thing? This is a psalm of who? Of David. And so this psalm is describing, it's it's about David, it was probably written by David, uh, and it's describing his heart. The heart of King David, this special anointed man of God. Specifically set apart to rule God's people to be the man after God's own heart. Um, this, yeah, this Messiah King who David is not just there for. At least we take the New Testament scriptures for their word that David isn't just there to be about him. That David is this Messiah King that is always pointing forward to the truer and the better ultimate Messiah King. That the New Testament reveals to be Jesus. Son of David. Heir to the throne of David. Um, And so in this psalm, what we're getting actually is a picture of David's heart. Because really what that's pointing to is a picture of this is what Jesus' heart is like. This is what's going on on Jesus' inside. This is the kind of follower of God that Jesus is. Um, In the book of Philippians... Apostle Paul he explains, Hey, this is what it looks like. This is how Jesus is king. This is how Jesus rules his people. Paul says this, he says, Who? Hey, Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, which means that sounds goofy, it just means like though he was God, did not count the quality with God a thing to be grasped, and what that means is like something to be clung onto. Like, I'm, I'm not going to let go of, like, being counted totally equal of all the glory and honor of God. Jesus said, I can take both my hands off that thing. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because he did that, therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's king to the glory of God the Father. Right, Jesus rules. Jesus is the king by humility, by being simple, by following God simply and humbly where he wants to go. Okay, so here, here's what I'm I'm trying to get at it. Here's how this is good news. Are you prideful? Me too. Is it really hard for you to give other people the benefit of the doubt to trust them? Is it really hard to not just use people as means to your selfish ends? Me too. Do you live life like the universe revolves around you and when it feels like it doesn't, it ruins your day? Do you just pulverize yourself on the insides when you kind of prove yourself to be not as smart or not as competent as you think you should be? Um, And do you think you are God's gift to earth when you actually, when you do pull off competency um, really well? Me too. And you know what God does with people like us? Who just, we have our Eyes and our hearts lifted up way too high uh, for people like us that occupy the stratosphere in our estimation of ourselves. What he does with us is he sends a suffering servant king who humbles himself, who obeys his father, who loves, who is entirely unselfish, who's just a simple follower of God part of his servant work is that he exchanges his humble, simple record for our prideful record and he dies for us. He eats it for us. And we get to be counted before God as if we have Jesus' heart. So when you, when you look at the simple heart stance of this psalm, the response shouldn't be like okay, get humble. Go. The response is, wow, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is for me. This is the heart he had that I get to have counted as if it was my heart. And that's how Jesus served me and saved me. And it's actually there that, like, when you see that the humility of Jesus just gets to get draped on you and counted to you for free, that's where it, like, catches like a contagion on our insides. And we start to then see like, man, pride is gross. And just like white knuckling our busy schedules is a pretty ridiculous way to live life in the freedom of like who I just get declared to be. Because Jesus loves me. Being a simple disciple starts with seeing that salvation's actually pretty simple itself. It's a kind God who serves prideful people that don't appreciate his love. And when he does, he just loves even deeper into that. Okay, so we see that um, discipleship, disciples are, are simple. And they're still. Verse two. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wean child with its mother. Like a wean child is my soul within me. Um, so never like try to be more earthy, than the Bible, but we certainly don't want to be less earthy than the Bible. Um, the Psalm gives us this little illustration, this metaphor of what uh, the psalmist's soul feels like. It, his insides feel like a small child that, like, no longer has to nurse from its um, from its mother anymore. Um, and I've gotten that might not really mean much to a lot of you, but I've gotten to bear witness to my wife, Catherine, um, nurse, and then wean from nursing three children. That's actually like a huge phase when you get there in parenthood because your child goes from needing to nurse every three hours or maybe even even more frequently when they're younger. Um, And like whatever picture you have in your head of what just like a calm, poised person is, like a hungry baby, is the complete opposite of of whatever that picture is in your head, Um, right? They're needy, and they don't know any other way to communicate other than just, like, screaming at the people around them. So there's just zero chill when it comes to a a nursing hungry baby. But, see, when you kind of hit that phase of they're eating solid food and their, like, stomachs are just filled up a little bit more and... um, you know, they're, they're able to come off nursing altogether. There's just longer periods of time of them just being content and being full. And so it's just a, it's just a different phase in having a child that is just less demanding. They are less demanding. And I think that's just, that's a neat litmus test for us as we ask the question, hey, what are our insides? What are our insides? feeding on because if our insides are actually set on immaturity then our insides are just going to be like this chaotic screaming child if our insides are always going hey what do other people think about me or if our insides are like hey what level of academic performance do i need to achieve Um, for me to declare myself successful in my eyes or maybe even for just like some amorphous world out there to be like, you know, applaud me you know, it doesn't even really exist Um, but in my mind it's like, what do I have to do to be elite? Um, If my insides are set on, hey, what experiences or fun or what like buzz do I need to have in my life be satiated, then what is going to pour out of our insides and out into our life is just going to be this immature me monster that can't rest, is annoying at best, and destructive at worst to the people around us. But the beautiful thing about Christianity is that your insides can actually be filled. That your insides can actually be satiated with a rich sumptuous food that looks like hey God's opinion of me is like as he looks at me you know he sees he just sees Jesus right on me his attitude to me his declaration over me is beloved love friend um, because he is dealing with us through the lens of Jesus Right. He looks at us. You are my perfect son. You are my perfect daughter, as I view you in Jesus. Because Jesus' heart and His finished work is draped all over us, and that's what God sees when He looks at us. Um, the early church father Saint Augustine, uh, before coming to trust in Jesus, he was actually he was raised in a Christian family. And he and he rejected Christianity um, as a young man, and, and kind of you know went all wild and crazy. And um, and he has in his book the Confessions, which is another great book. Um, he he shares kind of how he constantly lived life is this just anxious. And he was always in this existential crisis because he always felt like he needed to be the best at what he did, and he was. Also, he was really good at what he did, which was he was a rhetorician. In other words, he gave speeches and things like that um, publicly. But he felt like he just he would live or die based off of what people thought of him and how good of a performance he did or he perceived to have done. Um, and he's like he said, "It is awful. It is awful." He hated his life, and he was actually really good at what he did. But when he came to the end of his rope and he actually came and re-embraced Christ and came to rest in the unmerited love of God, uh, he has one of the the famous lines in church history. He said this, he says, My heart, our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you, God. There is a resting place in God. And so you tell me, um, if this is something you wrestle, wrestle with or not, And um, this, this is something for you to wrestle with. What is the right response to grace? Because just activity churn and just consume, 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 like, that ain't it. Um, what if we tried some of these things on? You know, maybe before you do anything in your day, just sit in a quiet place, away from your phone, away from Netflix, away from social media, away from distraction, and just be still. And just be quiet in your heart. Just sit there for 30 minutes. right? Or maybe if you like need to be a little more active, go on a walk outside. And like do it without headphones in your ears. Just walk around. And just let... You know, background noise of birds chirping and the wind blowing through the trees. Just let God's creation kind of blow in and out um, of your soul. Um, You know, in our our Ruthless Elimination of Hurry book club, uh, I've, I've kind of joked around a little bit like, is the author saying that we just basically as Christians need to become just these meditative Shaolin monk kind of Christians where we just all need to go contemplate under a waterfall every day or something? And I think the answer is actually, yeah, kind of. We did. I think we need to um, rediscover some of those more quiet, slow, still contemplative ways of being. And why do I say that? Because to follow Jesus is to follow him at his pace, and his cadence, and his way of rest. Right? The right response to grace is receiving it, of letting it hit us to rest in it, to fall back into it, if you will. Right? We might just have to like move at the speed of simple and humble and pared down and quiet and still. We might have to move at that speed so that we can be going the speed of Jesus, so that we can be going the speed of rest and of grace, right? Because it's still and it's quiet and it's at that speed. I think... Jesus and his grace and what he has to declare over us can actually catch up to us, as it were. So would you consider this an invitation, right, to stop, to be still, stop being active, stop the churn, and take those spaces and places in your life where you can actually let Jesus catch up to you at his speed and let that, see how that orients and pours into your life um, because it might just feel like his grace. Um, So consider that an invitation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you that even as I sit here and I commend to students, hey, we as disciples really need to think through how our activity or the structures in our lives are are actually maybe a crowbar between us and you. Um, that there's not just like neutral living in this world. There is um, right. There is you, your Holy Spirit, that is pulling us, that is drawing us. And there are evil spiritual forces. There is our own flesh. Um, there is the world that wants. To separate us from you, and maybe one of the best ways it can do that is by um, by instilling in us pride, instilling in us busy, 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 churn, churn, churn. How can I be awesome? Rush, rush, rush. So, Lord, would you help us to be like the psalmist? Be calm. To be stilled. That we do that physically, and even as like we talk about this. We can just reflect on the fact that, hey, we actually kind of just as a group did that for the past 20 minutes or however long the sermon was. We just stopped and we listened to God's word be unpacked. That's a beautiful thing. And I pray that you just continue um, to form us and shape us with moments and practices um, like this, Lord. Help us to respond to your grace the appropriate way, in a way that actually really can feast on it. And it's your name we pray. Amen.
0: We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Texas a RUF podcast. If y'all are interested in joining us for a future worship night, we would absolutely love to see y'all at All Face Chapel uh, on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events that we might be putting on throughout the semester. Uh, Thank y'all so much for listening, and we hope to see y'all around sometime.